What's happening? Welcome to Wong Notes Podcast, Season 2, Episode 1. I can't believe we're in a new season. This is pretty fun. This is, uh, this is really awesome. Why is it awesome? Because I get to interview people like John Petrucci. This cat is insane. Really needs no introduction if you are in or around the guitar community. He's one of the greatest. He's insane. He's so good. You probably know him from the band Dream Theater. Not only is he a guitar player, though, he's a great producer. He's produced a lot of their albums. I'm really curious about how he produces, how he plays guitar, and how his production influences the decisions he makes as a guitar player. A Dream Theater's been around a long time, longer than I've even been alive. They started as a band called Majesty, which happens to be the name of one of John Petrucci's signature guitars with Music Man. They've been one of the most influential prog rock bands of our time, and for good reason. They're really good. So I'm not gonna hold you up. Let's get into it. This season of the Wong Notes podcast is sponsored by Neural DSP. All Wong Notes listeners get 30% off with the voucher code WONG. Neural DSP creates industry-leading guitar and bass plugins. The range includes signature plugins from some of the best modern guitarists, such as Corey Wong, Pliny, Adam Nolly Getgood, and Tozen Abasi. The archetype Corey Wong gives you everything from crystal clear tones to edge of breakup blues tones, whereas the 14 amp series delivers all the crushing modern metal tones you could possibly need. And that nameless is my favorite Marshall amp ever. There's a plug in here for every type of player and you can get a 14 day free trial for every single one of them without even entering your credit card details. Find me another company doing that. Once you've found the ones you like, you get that 30% off your purchase by entering the code WONG at checkout. Well, thanks so much for joining us. I have a handful of questions. I'm a guitar player and I want to come at this from the guitar player perspective. I want to ask you about your new record. I want to ask you about all things guitar and producing. What is your approach to producing instrumental music and how the role of the guitar works in that for you? To me, the, the key word is instrumental. The key phrase is instrumental music because in this situation, this is a guitar instrumental album and the instrumentation is very minimal. It's just guitar, bass and drums, yeah. right? So the, the first thing that I'm always thinking about that I'm always conscious of is trying to make the songs interesting from a listener perspective. And one of the things that uh, I'm able to do, I think, as a producer is I can step outside of my myself as the composer and go into like the listener perspective and sort of assess is this interesting mm. you know there's no vocals going on there's no big chorus there's no the, you know, it's guitar instrumental music like it can get really old really quickly if there's like not enough substance yeah. in other words if the song writing isn't up to par if it doesn't have a strong thematic or melodic element to it or if it doesn't have enough variety like in other words you can't just have a backing track and solo for six minutes and call that a guitar and you know instrumental yeah. it needs to actually be a cohesive song that somebody other than yourself <laughs> might enjoy listening to and look forward to listening to it like i'm gonna go to the gym i'm gonna put on this record because it's gonna like excite me or i'm driving out to the beach i'm gonna put on this song because it makes me feel happy 
you know and and for me a lot of instrumental music doesn't do that mm-hmm. it's only the really good stuff that does that for me personally so that uh, that's something that i'm always conscious of as a producer and as a writer as well i think that speaks a lot to your artistry and sometimes what i've noticed with guitar players especially guitar players that look up to the guitar heroes with a lot of technical proficiency. Mm-hmm. You're clearly known as somebody with a ton of technical proficiency and just an extreme command over the instrument. But you have a really deep artistry that shows, even in just what you're talking about here. I think for some people, they confuse technical proficiency with being a good artist. Right, right. Can you speak into that a little bit? Yeah, I, I've always thought of it this way. I'm probably repeating myself, but like becoming proficient on an instrument just means that you're able to do more with whatever you think of you know you're able to actually put the ideas across and and i just picture like classical composers you know creating these crazy things and just expecting the musicians the instrumentalists to be able to do it you know yeah and and it's just like a like an ex an expectation like yeah i'm going to come up with something super crazy and you need to be able to play it <laughs> besides the, the element of fun that is being able to play guitar or drums or any any instrument to a certain level being able to play fast or do some tricky things it's kind of like being a swimmer or an athlete or somebody that could do something really well like there's a fun element mm-hmm. but as far as a practical element in songwriting that's the way i look at it like i want to be able to do anything that comes my way as far as what I imagine. And that should be able to, to span a pretty wide range of abilities. So it's not just the ability to play some musical tricky passage fast, but it's the ability to state a melody in such a way that it's believable and, you know, catches the attention of the listener or play a rhythm that's like, just lock to the group, whatever it is. Like those are all technical elements, but they span like a large range. And, it, and like you said, it's not just about the shred factor. That's like one piece of it. Mm-hmm. It's a really cool piece, but it's one piece of it. You can't have that like the whole thing. Just, I don't know, to me, it just makes it kind of boring. So the technical proficiency side is something that there's tons of videos about. There's tons of instructional things. There's so many exercises online, YouTube videos, endless array of instructional material on how to get the proficiency side of it. What is a couple practical things that people can get or just mindsets that people can get into to practice the artistry side of things, the actual musicality? For me, it was always like learning other pieces uh, because that's when you kind of discover things that you you didn't really realize before on on you know, maybe it's chord movement. Maybe it's, it's the way a melody interacts with a certain uh, progression. Um, maybe there are things like production techniques that you didn't notice. What's that little guitar thing doing over there? I never noticed that. Or let me learn the keyboard solo or the vocal line or whatever. Because when you do that, you start to get more of like a, a broader palette of, uh, of influences and things. And you, I, I think that the artistry kind of seeps in, you know? So I guess what I'm trying to say is that if you only, you know, pay attention to the technical stuff, all the instructional stuff, all of the, this is how you get better and faster and everything. 
technically on your instrument, then you're going to have that really developed, like that overdeveloped muscle. But you need to explore the other side, the artistry side, which comes from, it's exploring other people's like creative intent. I think that's, that's how mm. you, you do that. Cause that, that, that happened, you know, for me, for sure. And I learned some song and it could be a song outside of the genre that I even play, yeah. you know? And then you're like, wow, I never thought I'd of doing something like that. And it just like opens your mind a bit. So you don't want to just stay in the bubble. It's like a guy at the gym, like only working on his biceps. Like you got to get the full yeah. picture. But yeah. can't balance at all when he's walking down the street. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> you said a phrase that I want to explore a little bit. I want to dive into creative intent. Yeah. Now, when it comes to the way that you write music, produce music, play music, whether it be your solo music or with Dream Theater, is there an intention beyond just the musicality, just the the fun of it? Do you have a guiding light, a vision that you see as a purpose for? you as a human being? Oh, definitely. I think that's a big part of it. You know, I think that to be able to like, you, you have a couple of different perspectives that you work from or in like, or environments. One is something that's very like focused mm -hmm. and, you know, microscopic. And the other is a lot broader where you're looking at the whole big picture of what are you trying to say as an artist, you know, like what will your legacy be? Mm -hmm. And that maybe that sounds pompous, but it's just something that you, to keep in mind as you're doing all this. And I guess something now I've been doing this for a long time. So there's a lot of music out there and I kind of look at it uh, all as just this continuous story that's being told. And all these musical moments are reflections of what was happening at that point in the story. And if, it, if you do that and you, you know, I've said this a lot before as well, just always like have a vision, have motivation. Maybe that's easier to easier said than done, but don't get lazy about it. Like treat everything like you you're trying your best. You know what I mean? That you I, I, I don't like when musicians get stale or just kind of get lazy. You know, I like when you can hear that the player and I know a lot of guys like this, and it's so awesome to see that no matter how, what age they are in their, you know, musical journey, they love to play. You know, they still have the passion. They put stuff out that's like just as good, you know, now as it was 20 yeah. years ago. And you can hear that and feel that in the music. So that's another big picture thing. You know, make sure that that, that you're connected to that. You know, I, I never... I'll never forget like my formative years of just jamming with my friends when I was 15, 16, totally. go to each other's house and just, oh my God, we just play for hours, you know, like time would disappear. And uh, you, you just did it because you loved it. You loved the connection. And it's like making sure that you don't lose sight of that mm -hmm. is one of those, one of those things that you're, you're kind of alluding to with the intent. So how do you do that now that I, I don't think it's pompous of you to say that you're thinking of your legacy. And especially at this point, you're somebody who has achieved a certain level of success, both career-wise, musically, in so many realms that, that people really look up to. So I think that's fair to say that you care about your legacy as a person, as a musician, 
and as a band, right? What keeps you going on that? You you talked about being 15, 16, just getting hooked, yeah. and then you start a band. Oh my gosh, we're getting successful. Things are going right, awesome. Right. Let's keep going. Yeah. At this point, you don't really need to keep writing new music, touring that sort of thing. You you've got such a a level of success already. What is it that keeps you going? What is it that keeps your drive both on the musical side, but also just on the personal side? I, I think that certain people, this is something a lot of people that I, I know that are successful in, in that way have in common. It It's sort of something that is like, it's something that you just have to always do. It's like a part of your personality. Mm. You know what I mean? Like you, you just, creative person it doesn't shut off you know it's just like you just need to do it i can't explain yeah it It just it doesn't shut off it's it's funny you know i've explained this to certain friends that are totally not in this industry at all and it's different you know where people maybe have a job and they do that job and then they come home and and that life is separate um there's something to be said for that as well but i but creative people as far as my experience goes and talking for myself, they don't shut it off. It's just like something you have to do. It's just like the creativity, the creative wheels are always going. doesn't matter if you're, you know, what you're doing. Yeah. Um, And so that, I think that's what just keeps it going because it's just, it's just part of your whole personality. (laughs) Exactly. It's very hard to explain, but I... It is hard to explain. It it makes total sense to me, though. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I was like that when I was five. Like, Mm. I just, you know, I used to draw a picture. Like, I just had to do it. I can't explain what drove me to do it. It's just like, this is the thing that I need to do. Yeah. (laughs) Draw and paint, turn into music, and it just never stopped, you know? And like I said, pretty much all the people that I know work with uh, that, that are successful have will explain it the same way. It's not like a choice. It's just something that you do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not like, oh, shit, I have to write more music. Yeah. It's more like, <laughs> oh, that's cool. Wait, where's my guitar? Yeah, yeah. At any given moment, you know, out to dinner, in the pool, like Costco shopping, just pops in. Yeah. Can't help it. Yeah. I have a question about your writing. When I listen to it, there's a several different types of song forms. And in general, in different types of music, different types of bands, there are some go-to forms. In pop music, you have your verse, pre-chorus, chorus, verse, pre-chorus, chorus, bridge, double chorus, out, or whatever, you know, kind of standard pop form. Right. In Wolfpack, we have a lot of just kind of A section, B section, and a lot of the variety comes from what instruments are in or out in those sections, and maybe a bridge. Gotcha. And of course, that's different. We're similar in that we have a lot of instrumental music and a lot of vocal music, but when it comes to Dream Theater and John Petrucci music, what do you have go-to song forms? Do you have go-to structures that just feel like home base for you? There are some, you know, I, I don't know if they're, they're specifically like written out, but it they just kind of happen organically a lot when when you're in a certain yeah. zone and you're like, you know where it needs to go. Like everybody knows, yeah. you know, we're going to do this at the end. It's going to bring back the beginning and it's going to be like this glorious epic melody, you know there are some go-to things that have developed over the years for sure. And a lot of that is like by feel as you're writing the music, you know, whether something should be a little bit more standard in structure because that's what the song is dictating, mm. you know, um, like a song on the latest drink did or paralyzed or something that's, that's more like sort of standard in structure. 
because we we couldn't see it doing anything beyond it's not going to turn into some epic 12 minute 15 minute song but something like pale blue dot or even going back in our catalog count of tuscany or octavarium like those songs were written in a way that or they organically turned into what they turned into mm. and the the need for really specific song structure wasn't that necessary yeah so the song will dictate it like you'll know you know everybody will know like no nah, i don't think we need to go to you know an extended jam here like let's just do let's go back to the chorus and get out you know yeah you feel it you feel it and maybe that comes with experience some of it definitely comes with um performance experience i'm sure you could re- relate to that too you sort of know from being a live performer what sits right you yeah. know with yourself on stage playing and then with the audience like and you you kind of know your audience you know like oh well that didn't really work or that went on too long or man people were crying in the front row like something was magical there or whatever um so some of that comes from live performance experience as well and that and that totally seeps into the creative process in the creative process regarding your guitar solos do you typically like to take the angus young <laughs> write your solos sort of thing or are you more of an improvised solos person and then does it does it how does that translate when you play live so um i i tend to approach the solos from a mostly improvisational um start point and so i'll i'll jam over the solo section for a while until i kind of get into a groove and 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 some certain things pop out um some good stuff happens when i do that some bad stuff happens but but i'll i'll sort of refine that as i go on and then if i have a really specific idea for something that's just a little bit more involved and crafty that's going to be some arpeggio sequence that's going to follow through the chords and weave i'll need to work that out for sure yeah and i'll you know analyze the chords kind of figure out something unique uh, melodically or harmonically to do and then master the technique and do that. So you'll, you'll hear that. Like you, you said you heard the new album, the solo. Yeah. So you'll hear like, um, say like temple of circadia, like there's a point where there is a big solo and it's, it's comes in really melodically and very improvisational sounding. Mm -hmm. But then it shifts into like an arpeggio sequence that's weaving in and out of the chord. So I'm not improvising that arpeggio sequence. I mean, maybe there's guys that can do that. and That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm more crafting that. Yeah. And then mastering it and learning and recording it. So so it's a combination. So I'm not writing the whole solo. It's stemming from improv. I'm developing things that are cool. And then crafting things that are a bit more involved with checkpoints that's the best way to look <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and then again goes back to the beginning of our conversation where you know i step back as a listener as a guitar player that just likes listening to you know music and guitar music and say well is this like capturing my attention is this keeping me is this uh adding to the song like is it taking it to the next level where it needs to go or is it like boring as hell and i just want to fast forward sure <laughs> you know it's really important that maintaining that what, what is the word i'm looking for 
um, I guess it's like captivating the the listener is really important to yeah. me when when I write songs. Not only instrumental, but with Dream Theater as well. It's always on my mind. There seems to be a pretty high self awareness that you have in that, especially the, as probably your producer mindset. As soon as you put that yeah. hat on, you're able to step back, yeah. which then in in some cases forces you to strip away any guitar ego. Yeah, absolutely. How do you, has it always been that way for you? Or were you, I, I know there's some people that think that guitar is an Olympic sport and sometimes <laughs> it, it can be fun to try that sort of thing. And, and guitar Olympics yeah. can be fun to perform. But yeah, at what point do you feel like a guitar player needs to step back and analyze things, whether it be wanting just something that's feeding their own ego and hey, I want everybody to see how fast and dope I can yeah, play right. versus is this something really musical that's going to captivate the audience like you're saying? Well, I mean, I, I think it's something that I learned eventually. I don't think I started out that way, being that aware, you know, because especially as a young musician, young signed band, I mean, we had producers and you, you're doing your thing. And eventually I got into the producer role and, and I discovered that it was something that I really enjoyed and that I eventually that I became pretty good at. Like I can do that. I can step back and analyze and not take my ego out of it and you know really see how the instrumentation is contributing to the song the orchestration you know moving it along um i think for me that probably comes from the way that i learned guitar by being like into bands first mm. like i was like a big rush fan iron maiden fan and yes fan pink floyd or whatever and you know, with that kind of music, it's not just guitar fest the whole time. It's like guitar players is doing his part like everybody else. Everybody plays a role, yeah. you know? I mean, it wasn't until, and even even with the more technical instrumental music that I got into, like Steve Morris and the Dregs, or like Al Demiol and Return to Forever and all that, that type of stuff, there's still roles being played there. It probably wasn't until... I don't know, maybe Ingve, where it it and you know, maybe there was some stuff before that, but where the guitar was like going full mm. or for most of the song. So and even with that, I mean, even Ingve had he was writing songs and their vocals and parts, and then he'd go into a solo. So I can't even say that. Um, I don't know. That you know, maybe if it's like your younger player. And you're just like only influenced by super technical involved music. It's like you feel like that's what you have to sure. do. Whereas like if you have a little more history in getting into bands, you know, that actually write songs where each instrumentalist plays a role and a part and they're featured when it's time to be featured, not just playing over everything the whole time, then it gives you more perspective. So maybe it just happens, you know, for me, it's just like, how I grew up, where I grew up in New York, my age, what I listened to, what bands were around. Yeah. You know, no, I like that. That's different. that's a great answer. Yeah. Okay, so I have some just guitar technique questions. Yeah. Right hand technique. You do a lot of alternate picking. I'm an alternate picking guy. You seem to be similar to the Pat Martino pick pretty much all of the notes from a lot of the stuff that I've heard. What I've noticed sometimes, my right hand open wristed technique is faster mm -hmm. for whatever reason than when I'm playing single note, smaller motion things. Yeah. 
What are some just practical exercises, technique things that people can work on? And I'm selfishly asking this question to get faster with the single note thing and just smaller wrist motion, right hand speed. Well, that that's a funny thing because, you know, probably when you're doing the open hand thing, you're using a different kind of like muscle to do that. You know, it's a different kind of reaction. Then when you're closing up, you probably feel like you're limited in some Mm -hmm. way that you don't have, you know, you're probably using like an, an additional energy from like your shoulder and your elbow to get that fast thing. So here's the thing with, with playing fast single notes, as far as alternate picking techniques, there's so many different ways to do it that are, that you could be successful at. Like, for example, for me, and I probably got this from Steve Morris, and maybe Aldi Miola, but I always like, uh, I've always done it where my hand is kind of like, um, what's it called? It's anchored. Yeah. Are you anchoring like, your hand uh, or your pinky? It's both. It's like my, um, it actually starts from my forearm, my forearm to my the palm of my hand yep. to my pinky, right? So it's all like, there, there's a, I always said it, it gives me a good, um, I, I know where I am. Yes. Having said that, you know, I know so, a lot of guys that play with a closed hand mm-hmm. and they don't do that, oh, that thing. Their hand is floating and they kind of do more like that. I, I can't even do yeah. that. Um, so for me to just say there's one way to do it, sure. um, is not, you know, it's not true. And, you know, the same goes for even the tilt of your hand as well. You know, like take like a gypsy jazz player, you know, their, their approach is their wrist is like tilted out yeah. like that. Right. So where it doesn't connect with the guitar, it's more like this. I don't know if you can yep. see that, you know, whereas as most electric players and the way I play the, the wrist is planted down. It, it's weird. It's, there's so many different ways to do it. Um, you can experiment with all those, you know, maybe something you could do to find out, to find your comfort zone is you can take some sort of repetitive lick and try, you know, at the same tempo, I'm just making this up sure. as we speak at, at the same tempo, try all the different <laughs> versions that we just talked about and see which one like feels right to you. Yeah. It, you know, you might lock into something that you already know. So it might be a little bit unfair. Sure. You might have to spend time trying a certain technique. Another thing that I discovered too, that can help you get more speed is let's say you decide the type of um, anchoring or non-anchoring or close hand or open hand or palm down or palm out. Let's say you got that covered. What you were saying with your open strumming thing, it's really fast. It's probably because you're utilizing like this forearm muscle. Yep. That's something I just I discovered more recently, and by recently I mean I don't know, ten years ago, whatever. Is that uh, that a lot of guys that have some really high levels of speed and control, it's not just coming from the wrist fulcrum. It's like coming from that yeah. forearm muscle. Yeah, and it's like there's like a twitch thing that you can do that like generates the energy down through your wrist and it helps it. And you can get like a lot more speed that way because I used to be very strict about only comes from the wrist. You know, that's your arm is planted. But then when I started to even analyze my own playing and I was like, no, it doesn't, you can see what's going on there. Like, and then I started talking to certain guys. I remember when I first uh, 
started talking to Rusty Cooley and, and becoming friends with him. And we got together a couple of times and I watched him play and he do these like ripping things. And I watched his arm like just bulge out right there. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> and it's like, it's like incorporating another muscle to help yeah. wrist motion. All this stuff sounds like really, it's, it's just a little bit arbitrary conceptually until you try it. Yeah. You, have, you just have to feel it. Mm-hmm. It's like trying to describe to somebody how to ride a, a horse and get used to like sure. the, yeah, yeah. you know, the gallop and like not bounce up and down. You can't really describe it. You have to kind of be on the horse doing yeah. it. And the good, the good and bad thing about that answer is that it's yeah. different for everybody. It really is. There are some principles in minimum tension and only, yeah, only going minimum tension, maximum control. But yeah, it is different for everybody. Watching you pick or Rusty Cooley or Satriani or George Benson or Pat Matheny, all the techniques, all different. techniques look way different. So. It's all different. And, and you know, that like the thing I was talking about adding that extra tension in, I mean, that's for, I think, to push a certain level of speed. Sure. But I think that something that most guitar players have that, that have kind of mastered a, a you know, proficient level of speed is that there is a relaxation element. Yeah. You know, most you can't keep up like serious tension in any of your muscles for an extended period of time. They burn out. Yeah. Even guys that are playing really fast, like pretty relaxed. Yeah. So that's something you got to watch for. I remember a long time ago, somebody told me I was like tensing my shoulder up. Mm. It's like, you know, make, watch for tension in your arm. Yeah. You know, your neck, your back. Yeah. You, you want to play from a relaxed standpoint, even if it's fast. I like that. All right. This is some good conversation. I got to remind you, though. Have you guys not gone to that Neural DSP website yet? You got to go check it out. Use that 30% off coupon. Wong. That's my last name. And while you're there, check out the Archetype Corey Wong plugin. I guarantee you, if you are looking for good, clean, or edge of breakup tones, this is the plugin for you. There's three different amps, a pedal board, EQ, three different cabs. Come on! You can use it live. You can use it in the studio. There's that 14-day free trial. Check out all the plugins and let me know which one's your favorite. Okay, here's something that people don't talk about as much with you. And I noticed this on your new solo record. The rhythm guitar playing is insane. Oh, man. Thank you. <laughs> you got such a cool way that you chug. You got a, such a cool way that you... I mean, so much of that comes from your dedication to accuracy. But when I hear some of your guitar parts, they're doubled, hard right. pan, left and right, that sort of thing. Yeah, the yeah, parts yeah. really work together nicely, and they sit cool. in a way that really sets up the lead thing or the thing that's supposed to be focal. Right. Well, thank you for saying that. And uh, I guess it's it's sort of more of the same of what I've been saying. It's like you want that stuff to be interesting. Yeah. If you think about it, I mean, maybe not with guitar instrumental music because you're taking on more of a role. You have to be the vocalist. You have to be the soloist at all. Yeah. Time. But for the most part, and again, I've said this before, the, you're playing rhythm guitar for most of the song. Yeah you know until the solo comes so i might as well keep make it interesting yeah like it's not you don't want to just be bored until like the solo comes along you want to you know so i i always try to keep just stay in that creative mindset when coming up with riffs and rhythm parts and you know one of the things that i'll i'll do not only with rhythms but i'll do this with melodies too and maybe you picked up on this maybe you didn't is i'm really conscious of the way that the notes are being performed, the tone of the notes, the pick attack, yeah. 
whether a node's vibrato or not vibrato or or round or more open or something blossoms or there's a harmonic or not like it's like a vocalist changing the you know mm-hmm. if they just sang like monotone it would be so boring yeah. So I'm doing that, and I do that with the rhythm parts that you're saying very graciously that are interesting, is that I'm trying to keep them cool, trying to keep them, you know, mix it up, make it something that's that, like, you want to listen to. Yeah, you know? what I like is that they stand alone, but they yeah. also are very functional where they they set up the thing that's supposed to be listened to, and it yeah. doesn't get in the way of that, which is a really hard thing to tow. Thank you. And, you know, part of that is also the, the mix... You know, yeah. this, this album was mixed by uh, Andy Sneap, who did an awesome job. My first time working with Andy, I've always been a big fan. But one of the discussions we did have is how, you know, those rhythm guitar parts, like you want them to rock. Yeah. You want those to be powerful when they're happening. Yes, like you said, they're setting up the main event, but they're not just passing the time. Like they're featured. Those riffs need totally. to be like, you know, they need to be commanding your attention. Yeah. They're not just like little wimpy guys in the background. You know, they're speaking loud and they're just as important as when that solo or when that melody comes in. So, yeah, part of that is a mixed perspective. And Andy did that great. And I think he did a great job. We also did this in the studio. My engineer, Jimmy T, who recorded the whole thing, when coming up with the guitar tones, uh, you notice that that the... Uh, the rhythm guitar tones are, are they're brighter they have more hair on yeah. them they kind of they do that stereo 3d spread oh, yeah while the lead and melody tones are more focused they they have a a rounder more mid mid-range sound yeah it's really cool the way that he put that yeah that, that sonically how it all fits yeah and if you listen with headphones you can really you hear everything that's going on even if there's a rhythm part behind a you know, a melody or a solo, you can totally hear the spread. So part of that is like production technique. Part of it's mix, yeah. uh, mix engineer thing for sure. Yeah. You know, you want to, you don't want to mix the guitar rhythm sounds with the same approach as the guitar lead sounds. It just would all just sound like one homogenized blob. Yeah, there has to be a three dimensional. I love that approach. The other thing about this album that I think a lot of people are wondering about, excited about the call it the elephant in the room is that <laughs> Mike Portnoy is playing drums on it and he sounds incredible that, on this record. He sounds awesome on it. Isn't that wonderful? It's so great. It's so great. And uh, he, Mike did such an awesome job on it. And it was, um, I had written this album uh, over a couple of months, did something that I never did before, recorded all the guitars. The songs were yep. done. They're all complete. But they weren't scratch guitar. They were the final guitars, sure. solos, everything done. And we programmed drums, uh, me and Jimmy mm-hmm. T, mostly him. He's really good at it. And I played bass. He played bass. You know, th- so they were just like keeping, holding uh, a place. Yeah. And so Mike had to come in and learn the music, but not only learn the music, but make it. I think the challenge was, and we talked about this a little bit, he's playing to like pre-recorded guitars. Yeah. How do you make it sound like we're playing together? Because sure. we weren't. And he pulled that off big time. I, to me, when I listen to this, it sounds like a trio playing together live. It's like uh, he just approached it with a really great spirit and intuitiveness and liveliness and uh, just came from this kind of off the cuff, like, yeah. 
you know, he was like, I don't have to learn your exact drum parts. Right. I'm like, no, I mean, do, do your thing. I mean, if it's locked into a certain phrase, yeah. yes, but for the most part, do and so he, he just came in and killed it. It was awesome. I can really tell there's certain spots where the end of your guitar solo has and he'll follow it and he'll go along with it. And it makes it feel like it's this thing that either has been worked out and is, is well arranged, but also there's so many moments where it just feels raw 15, 16 year old friends hanging out. You're back at Berkeley (laughs) hanging out in the practice room, (laughs) just, just letting loose. And that's a really fun thing to see. I'm so glad that you said that you're you're saying exactly what I would want somebody's reaction to be. I love that. And, and that definitely is part of Mike and his approach to doing that and discussions like, Hey, can you catch that triplet thing I did? And, and then take it a step further. Dave LaRue, who did a phenomenal job on bass was actually recording his parts remotely but he would send something in and say hey dave mike did a fill can you like catch his fill so now it really sounds yeah. like man these these guys know what they're doing <laughs> that's fun you know so i love that you know i i really hear that energy you're talking about like on a song like happy song has yes. that the, the whole latin breakdown section and gemini it's just like to me there's so much joy in the playing. There's like spirit. And it's exactly what you said. It, it's, it's that thing you don't want to lose sight of, that connection to just like loving playing your instrument, playing together, you know, jamming like you did when you were 15, 16, like you said. So I'm so happy that you said that. Yeah, That's a great, cool. great re- reaction. Well, I think it just, it translated immediately. And it, that was what was cool. really fun about hearing this record. I'm so used to hearing you play in a different instrumentation. And that maybe is right. a transition into a question and even somewhat of a parallel. Most people wouldn't think that there's a lot of similarities between the band that I'm in with Wolfpack and with Dream mm-hmm. Theater. But at the same time, there's a lot of material that's instrumental, a lot of it that's vocal. Same with us. You guys each have your own individual projects that you guys do, your solo careers, your solo music, you have side projects, all of that sort of thing. How have you guys navigated that? And of course, there's been, you know, different eras of the band. In your guys' experience across your career, what has helped you and what advice do you have for people like with Wolfpack for us that are doing that sort of thing. How do we, how can we best maintain all sides of that equation? Oh man, that's a that's a big question. <laughs> um, I, I think like staying grounded really helps because you you could approach things from a, a perspective where you're not getting over overly emotional about situations. Mm. You're you're thinking in a way that's like hopefully in everybody's best interest you're thinking about people's you're thinking about other people and their feelings about things and how you know you're not just being totally like egocentric self-centered you know how does this serve me um so it kind of i guess it goes back to that bigger picture perspective taking a step back coming from a grounded place, you know, I I find that, again, most successful people have that in common, Mm -hmm. you know, the Steve Vai's, the Joe Satriani's, whether it's you're grounded in your family, whether it's you're grounded in your basic compass on how you live your life, it's the guys that are like, 
all over the place and react emotionally or like or just like you know you have to know people like that or they're just scattered and they don't know what they want and did this and they those people unfortunately have a lot of trouble sticking with things uh they have trouble with change they have trouble with success um and you see that all the time and it doesn't mean that they don't have talent but there's just something they're not like they don't have the two feet on the ground sure so that's that's a you know to me that's the best way to approach that type of thing yeah and what has been your experience or best practices when you're in a situation where somebody maybe isn't grounded i know there's people listening that are in a band and have one wild card in their band who brings an insane <laughs> amount of energy and and, right. and musical value but there's sure. uh, so the personal thing isn't quite happening the best thing you can do in my experience is don't let it build up if there's something valuable in that relationship you know whether it's musically or or more than that you owe it to yourself and the person to say something to you know give them a, an opportunity to know what they're doing you know how that's affecting you and everybody else and if you know you might give them a couple of chances but if uh after doing that it's just becomes unbearable then it's not meant to be you know then sure. you, then you part but I, i'm i'm all about like letting people know what's going on like don't i, I mean I, and i've been guilty of the opposite you know letting things build up and not saying anything sure. and and then things get out of control and you react emotionally and that that's no good yeah it doesn't work and maybe it's just like that you know becoming more seasoned but i find like you have an issue with somebody let them know and eventually i think you end up like your circle sort of becomes smaller and smaller and the people within it become people that you really want to spend time with mm. you know and and the wild cards they they kind of weed their way out you sure. know eventually whether it's by their own self-destruction or just somehow it just doesn't work out you know but I mean, it's very common what you're talking yeah, about exactly especially in, in bands yeah you forget about it yeah. i have one last question to kind of close us out and that is in regard to guitar players that are getting going now they might have their act together musically but trying to get themselves known trying to be them the best version of themselves trying to find their voice trying to find the artistry thing all the stuff that you're talking about a part of that is also just being quote unquote discovered or how to yeah get people's attention if you were to start right. today if you were starting over you're still have all the technical proficiency you have now you still have the producer big picture mindset all the wisdom knowledge you have but you were just getting going how would you go about trying to get discovered? Wow. I, I would say that it's probably more, a better question for me to ask you. <laughs> right? You guys are a more recent version of that success story in utilizing a more modern approach. I don't know if, you know, I can only come from my perspective, which is probably so different now. Sure. Uh, for a lot of young players because it's not the same scene. So what was it for you guys? What what felt like were the, the biggest steps that you took to get discovered and find your thing? For us, it was like, and even ours wasn't super traditional. Like the traditional thing was, you know, form a band, write music, go out, play shows, get a following, get discovered. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we kind of just like formed a band, wrote music, and then just 
shared the music all over the place, like literally mailing tapes and everything. We didn't really play shows and then we got signed. So it was just like this weird, you know, gritty approach to like get ourselves noticed. Um, and maybe it was a fluke. Now, I'm not sure if that whole method really works. I feel like now the tools that uh, people are using are more, more have to do with the internet and all of the, mm -hmm. you know, the ways that are right at people's fingertips to get through social media and in different ways like that. But that kind of scares me as well, because like you said, if it was me and I had all this knowledge and stuff and here I am thrust into this date, I'd probably, I probably wouldn't know how to go about it. Like there's so many different avenues and ways to explore that. And because of that, it's like so flooded. There's so many people doing that from all aspects, from all corners of the planet. It wasn't like when I was younger where, I don't know, maybe they were doing that, but you didn't know about mm. them, you know? So there's such a huge level of, of competition. How do you get, make yourself stand out? That's, that's a great question. Um, you know, for me, I guess sort of an answer is, and this is easier said than done, but it's the players and the writers who have something unique to say. I mean, isn't that always the thing that makes people stand yeah. out, right? Um, it's what I don't enjoy is when I, you know, let's say I'm on Instagram or something and listening to, and it's like, it just all blends into one thing. And this band sounds like this band. It sounds like this band is this player and this and the guitar sound, the way it's produced, it all just sounds exactly the same. That's not happening. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the people that are unique that stand out, whether it's with an approach, a sound, a songwriting style. Those are the ones that grab our attention, I guess, because it is so, so flooded. So easier said than done, but <laughs> have to be original yeah no that's a great answer <laughs> yeah, I think I that's know. that's probably been the answer it. for hundreds of years but it's just now yeah, in a right? different context and it's in a way where right. everybody's thing is right in front of us in our fingers and right. on social media so that's a great answer but the good news the good news is that it can still be done yes so I I, I don't mean in any way to make my answer sound negative totally it can still be done and is still being done on a daily basis and people are doing great things yeah and being really successful at it. a lot of young people so it's awesome well john thank you so much for your time i really appreciate you joining us today i'm a big fan of what you do i love this new record for anybody out there who hasn't heard it yet dive in because i gotta i gotta learn some of these guitar parts man i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna <laughs> learn all these rhythm parts so all that right. way, when you let, take let this music on the road, I'm going to be your rhythm guy, and you just play. I'm going to need yeah. it, right? Exactly. <laughs> let me know which. Uh, let me know which technique you settle on. All right, I will. And congrats with your success. We were literally just talking about you guys. Oh, thank you so much, man. That means a lot. How about that? That was really cool. I feel like I have a better understanding of him as a person, but also now I understand him as a player a little bit more just from talking to him about some of these things. It's kind of funny how that works. Super cool. I really love talking to other producer guitar players because for myself, I know I have my own process, but I really enjoy hearing other people's as well. Tell you what, folks, this season's gonna be great. We have some really awesome guests. Susan Tedeschi, Tom Mish, Jake Shimabukuru, Madison Cunningham, Ron Carter. There's a lot. Those are the ones that I have actually recorded already. And uh, the other ones I have scheduled and I'm recording soon, 
Stick around for the rest of the season. It's going to be great. Great.